Rincast number five. Another crappy podcast production. Hi there, this is Alan of AtTheFair.com. That's fair with an E at the end. And this is the Rincast show number five, the podcast that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that, yes, anyone can have their own podcast, even you. Why not start your own? Everyone else is. Now, before we get started, I wanted to take a moment and invite everyone to visit anothercrappypodcast.com and click on the world map link at the top of the page. This will take you to a page where you can mark your spot on a map and let everyone know where you listen to the Rincast from. This is the first time I've remembered to mention the map on this show, but a few of you have already found it. I'd like to say hi to Tim, who listens from Fresno, California, where he says, The Valley has the best Rin fairs. Totally. Thanks, Tim. And now, on with the show. Last time on the Rincast, we took an audio trip to the Minnesota Renaissance Festival with part two of some interviews with patrons, merchants, and performers. Today I would like to talk a little bit about some things that are going on in my home state of Iowa. Now, those of you that listened to episode one of the Rincast know a little bit about my background. To refresh, I grew up in Texas and in 1980 experienced my first Renaissance festivals when a friend and his parents took us both to the Texas Renaissance Festival and Scarborough Fair. Several years later, I would attend another festival in Des Moines, Iowa. In 1997, I got to go to the Iowa Renaissance Festival that, at the time, was held at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. It was a much smaller and much different type of event compared to the ones I originally saw back in Texas. At the time, I was really just surprised that Iowa even had any Renaissance festivals. It seemed like the stereotype of Iowa being an agricultural-driven state with lots of corn was actually quite true. In fact, on my drive home from work every day, I passed a number of tractors and fields of corn. But Renaissance festivals? Didn't see a lot of those. Well, I was actually pretty far off on that because it turns out Iowa has been home to quite a number of small Renaissance festivals over the years. Now, none of them were the large, grand-scale events like Minnesota and the Texas Renaissance Festival, but there were many small single-weekend tent and canopy shows. Today on the Rencast, I would like to talk a little bit about Iowa festivals past, present, and future, including some interviews with three of the people behind the upcoming permanent Des Moines Renaissance Fair site, which opens later this year, the first three weekends of September 2006. First, in alphabetical order, here's a list of some of the past events Iowa has seen. A Renaissance Affair in Osceola was held from 2001 until 2003. They had announced plans to open in 2004, but had to cancel about a week before opening. The Mount Vernon New World Fair, or was it the Old World Fair? I, I never could get that straight. It was held in Mount Vernon, and I'm not exactly sure when it was held, but it was connected to some kind of city event, and it seems like the city was the one putting it on. The My Waterloo Days Renaissance Fair in Waterloo, Iowa, was probably the longest-running festival of its kind in the state. It ran for over 20 or 25 years before ending in 2003 when the organizer moved away for a job. Now, this event was part of the My Waterloo Days citywide festival and was usually a single-day event that was free to the public. During its last two or three years of operation, it expanded to a two-day event, letting it finally be listed on those Renaissance Festival index sites that refused to list a single-day event. So a lot of folks probably didn't even know it was around. The Nishna River Renaissance Fair was held in Hancock, Iowa in 2002, then moved to Avoca, Iowa in 2003. The Okaboji Renaissance Festival was held in the tourist area of Lake Okaboji 
over the summers of 1996 and 1997. This event was reportedly in a very beautiful location, but it was held in August, making it very hot for performers that had to be in seven layers of clothing. I asked about why it was in August, and it was explained to me that this was late enough in the season that tourists would actually be around, otherwise there wouldn't be an audience. The most missed festival Iowa has ever seen is probably the Salisbury Fair in Des Moines. This was a fundraiser for the nonprofit Salisbury House Foundation. It started out as a front lawn event at the Salisbury House in 1996, then it moved to Waterworks Park where it remained until 2002. This was one of the largest volunteer-run events of its kind in the Midwest, and during their final year of operation, letters from the Salisbury House Foundation said their attendance was somewhere between twenty to 25,000 people, which is not bad for a one-weekend temporary event in Des Moines, Iowa. And lastly, probably the most unique of all these events was the Wybrig Village Renaissance Festival in Bonaparte. It was held as a one-weekend summer event in 1999, and then a two-weekend spring event in 2000, and a three-weekend fall event in 2000. Now, that fall 2000 show was kind of interesting because they brought in a man to manage it, and he was the guy that originally started the King Richard's Fair, which today is known as Bristol. We also had the same lady who portrayed the Queen, who's currently seen at Bristol. So we had a lot of higher-end people helping out with this event. It was a very interesting time. Now, it was operated by the nonprofit Renaissance Foundation. Their goal was to try to build this living community for artisans to live and work out in eastern Iowa. But unfortunately, funding was never made available for them to continue their goal. And after a small city park event in 2001, then a couple of Renaissance-themed banquet fundraisers and plans to create an event in Des Moines after Salisbury Fair shut down, when those didn't happen, the Renaissance Foundation finally closed down. On a side note, the two gentlemen that organized Renaissance Foundation were also the two that helped get Salisbury Fair started for the Salisbury House Foundation a few years earlier. Well, that's the events in the past. Now let's look at some of the events that were operating in 2005 and plan to continue operating this year in 2006. They include the Renaissance Fair of the Midlands and Council Bluffs. This will be its 23rd year of operation and about third in its newest location. The Iowa Renaissance Festival in the Amana Colonies has been operating since 1992. The first year was in Mason City, Iowa. Then it moved to the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines, where it was until 1999. And then in 2000, it moved to the Amana Colonies over Labor Day weekend. For 2006, the event is moving to a spring event and will be in May. The Sioux City Riversance Festival in Sioux City, Iowa, actually had two events in 2005. The first was a one-weekend event tied into the citywide Rivercade celebrations. Then they decided to schedule a secondary event, which was held in October. This year they will return to their October dates. Next we have the Nottaway Corn Carnival in Nottaway, Iowa. They had some Renaissance festivities in 2004, then they expanded them to kind of a small Renaissance festival in 2005 and plan to do the same thing again this year. And lastly, there's the Des Moines Renaissance Fair, which opened in 2004 at Waterworks Park. At least that was the plan. It was hit with some very unfortunate luck the first year. About a week before it was supposed to open, there was a lot of rains and Waterworks Park was completely underwater. The event was hastily relocated to a parking lot at the corner of the Iowa State Fairgrounds over Memorial Day weekend. 
In addition to being a rather ugly place for a Renaissance festival, it was right near the traffic, and there was some kind of Munster truck show going on across the way at the grandstands for the first day. So the organizer decided to host a second event later on that season, and Waterworks Park was finally able to be used in October. For 2006, the Des Moines Renaissance Fair will move to its new permanent home the first three weekends of September. Now that's a little bit about the past events. Some new events that have been announced for 2006 include a new fall event in the Amana Colonies and a new spring event right here in Des Moines. The Central Iowa Celtic Festival is also returning after a previous one-day event in 2004. So it's looking like a really good year for festivals in Iowa since, if all of them happen, we will have seven different events offering nine weekends of fun. The previous best years in Iowa have offered up to six events, so this will be a new record for us. And speaking of new records, let's talk a bit about the Des Moines Renaissance Fair. Although the name is the same as the past three soft events held in 2004 and 2005, the new venture is something much larger. In fact, it will be the first event of its kind in Iowa where tents are not allowed for merchants. All of the merchants will be vending from actual constructed shops. There will be a main street, multiple stages, a large castle facade, and much more. The project sits on 18 acres of land behind Sleepy Hollow Sports Park near the Iowa State Fairgrounds. Sleepy Hollow is a 60-acre entertainment complex that has been operating for over 10 years. It features things like go-karts, golf, batting cages, climbing walls, and winter skiing activities. It's also home to the largest Halloween attraction in the region. The festival ground will sit on an isolated piece of property across from a small river separating it from the main Sleepy Hollow complex. Now, Rick Flat operates Sleepy Hollow along with his wife, Mary, and a staff of dozens that keep things running smoothly. I spoke with Rick at a recent Des Moines Renaissance Fair audition to let him talk a little bit about what this project is and just what Sleepy Hollow is. It's a year-round recreational facility. It originally started as a ski and snowboard and tubing area and have expanded to other family entertainment activities such as miniature golf, batting cages, go-karts, driving range, and uh, we also have a par three nine-hole golf course and do a lot of corporate outings and events. Okay, now how does that fit in with an entertainment franchise? Well, I think it's kind of the next step. It's moving us into an area that we've had some minor successes in in the past. We've been uh, running a, Iowa's largest and most successful uh, haunted attraction for the last uh, eight, nine years. Um, and uh, I think that uh, we're ready to make the step to full-time festival development here. Okay, and tell us a little bit about where the festival is actually being built out on this property. Well, we have a new 20-acre site that is southeast of the main facility. It brings us to a total of a little over 80 acres here. It's secluded uh, off, off uh, in a way on its own, so it should have its own feel and its own personality. And um, uh, it's uh, across the creek, as we say here. All right, and, and when did uh, Sleepy Hollow originally get started? In 1994. And out of all the things that are going here, now you don't strike me as the type that I could see running around in tights and stuff at a Renaissance Festival. What would possibly interest you in a project like this? Well, I like to tell people that I enjoy all the activities here. I enjoy skiing. I've taught myself a little bit to snowboard. I like golf. I enjoy racing in our go-karts. But none of those things am I really romanticized by. For me, they are uh, revenue centers for a company. So I treat them that way, looking for the best return for Sleepy Hollow Sports Park and its uh, shareholders. 
Okay, so then you're actually seeing that you're entering this realizing that you think this is going to be a, a good profit center, that it's actually going to be a successful business out here at Sleepy Hollow? Well, that's the that's the basis that we add any activity here, and, and certainly we believe that this one, uh, as I said earlier, with our success moving into the, the Halloween uh, genre, now, now making the jump to uh, some other festivals, I think we're ready to make that thing. We've been very successful with... Um, with our Halloween activities, and we see this as another profit center. And what's the biggest challenge you see bringing this project to life out here? You know, I think probably the biggest challenge is because, and, and my history in this industry is not very extensive, but it seems that most of these type of festival things have been developed on kind of a hit or miss or on a shoestring type budget where it's been someone's romantic fantasy to be involved in this and, and not really look at it as a business. And I think there's a lot of people out there wondering, you know, in this kind of project, just how committed are we, how, you know, how much effort, how much time, how much resources, how much financial resources we're willing to put towards a project like this to make it be successful. And I think uh, we've pretty much, you know, we've, we've nearly filled the park with vendors at this point, and I think we have uh, the synergy now to make this successful. Okay, and everybody in the internet, the whole world wants to know, how much is this going to cost? How much do they spend in the buildings? Come on, tell us, tell us, tell us. Well, you know, it's kind of like when you go to build your house, you think you're going to do it for a certain amount, and you're always surprised, and we're hoping we won't get any huge surprises. But, uh, you know, we have committed so far $500,000 to the project. The question is, you know, just how close are we going to be to the budget figures we feel that we have? So, Anything else you want to add? No, I just uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. And of course, I was really glad Rick was able to take some time away from the auditions to talk with me. Now, at Sleepy Hollow, winter is a very busy time for them. They make their own snow, and it has to be groomed and plowed, and he spends a lot of time up there literally overnight working on it. So this was one of those really, really, really long days for him. All right, well, that takes care of the business end of the venture. Now, the other half is provided by Greg Schmidt of Festivals International. Greg operates several of the current soft events in the area, but this will be his first venture into a large-scale permanent facility. Now, tell me a little bit about what the Des Moines Renaissance Fair project is. The Des Moines Renaissance Fair project is the culmination of 15 years of building up a Renaissance Festival producing company to the point where we can actually do it in an established physical building, a theme park, if you will, where we have a real castle, we have a feasting hall, we have a permanent uh, jousting list, and Des Moines' version of this will be the first such theme park built in the Midwest in 25 years. So it will showcase the best of the talent that we can get our hands on. It will allow us to go to multiple weekends in September. It will allow us to do other kinds of festivals in the same venue. We are dubbing the venue Festival Park. So we can follow up in October with uh, a family fun pumpkin fest. Uh, next, uh, in the summer of 2007, we'll come in with um, a non-historical event, a big, big mu all uh, statewide music festival. But as far as the Renaissance Fair goes, it's a chance to put together all the things we've learned in 15 years, uh, showcasing the best merchants we've been dealing with in the last 10, 15 years, and hopefully seeing the biggest audience we can accumulate uh, because we're going to give them something on the scale of two or three times what they've gotten from us for the price of their ticket in the past. 
Okay, and now tell me something about, about the whole project. Why, why Des Moines, Iowa? Des Moines, Iowa is per perfectly situated between Kansas City, St. Louis, and Minneapolis. It's a long drive to those locations. Des Moines, since we last did a Renaissance Fair, since we left Des Moines in, in 1999 to move to another location with the Iowa Renaissance Festival, the population base of Des Moines has grown 30% of in the metro area. We're going to take advantage of that. Uh, Des Moines is, you know, it, it's it's experiencing its own renaissance with new malls, a new downtown uh, development, uh, parks, new parks everywhere. Um, businesses are coming to Des Moines, and we want to be a part of that. Des Moines deserves its own permanent renaissance festival setting. And how do you think what you're envisioning is going to compare to, you know, any of the three other major permanent events that are within about a four- or five-hour uh, radius of Des Moines? We will look a lot like them, maybe just not as big, maybe not cover just as much property. Uh, obviously, because of our population base, you know, we won't draw as, as big of audiences. Thus, we only have to run three or four weekends versus their seven and eight weekends. But as far as quality of the entertainment, as far as quality of the structures and the buildings on the grounds, uh, the diversity of fun that you can have, um, we will be equal to them. Uh, and if you considered the price that we're going to ask, uh, our gate admission, we probably are giving more than they are for their uh, – more bang for their buck than the other big events. Okay. And with your experience with the, the soft uh, temporary events in the different states that you've operated events at, could you, could you tell us a little bit about some of the states and places, the types of events you've done already? We've been doing um, our tent events, our movable feasts in, in um, Iowa in three different locations. We are now in Nebraska. We ran the San Antonio, Texas – Spring Renaissance Fair for two years. We ran the Indiana Renaissance Festival for two years. We prefer to run our own, so in those cases, we were working for other entities. We just um, put a new event into the Quad Cities on the Illinois border uh, in Rock Island. We won't personally be running that one this year. Uh, we've got a, a team who's going to take care of that for us. Uh, that will potentially move into a permanent site as well in, in a wooded grove in 2007. So um, our experience not only has been putting on our own events of the ones I just mentioned, but we also provide performers for six or seven other festivals around the country. And so we go to a lot of events. We are part of a lot of other events because either our performers are there or our merchants are there or our magazines are there or I'm there as a consultant. Okay. And based on doing all the, the, the soft tent events and then going to a permanent thing, what are some of the, the unique challenges or some of the differences you're seeing in doing something of this scale versus the uh, soft events? I think you'll get a much better product from us because when we do tent events, we're always on rented public property. We have to come in on like a four-day setup time. We have to take down the next day, you know, the, the, all the physical elements of garbage bathrooms are a big headache. We will have a much better product for, for people looking for edutainment because we will be ready two months in advance of the public coming through that front gate by having all of our buildings in place, having all of our merchants in place, permanent toilets, uh, shade where we know it's going to be needed. Um, and that's the change. It's, it's, it's harder work in one element in that it's got a deadline, much easier work in the element that we don't have to do it all at the last minute. What's the biggest challenge you're seeing so far? Uh, the biggest challenge is dealing with merchants, uh, finding out who's going to be involved, what their shop is going to look like, how much they're going to invest in their lease, three years, five years, ten years. Um, I've been booking entertainment for a long time now, even before the, my Renaissance experiences. So 
Um, getting the entertainment here is not going to be that hard. I've got years of contacts, and I'm pulling in some of my old friends from the old days. For example, the famous Chicago-based Sturdy Beggars Mud Show. Two of their performers are coming out of retirement to, to help us premiere the Des Moines Renaissance Festival location with a grand performance of the Mud Show. So, you know, it's, you know, I'm calling on some old friends like that to help participate. But, you know, back to the harder part, you know, getting the right mix of merchants here and keeping them satisfied and getting them in the right building is, is the biggest challenge, I'm sure. And out of all the stuff uh, going on, what are you looking forward to the most with the Des Moines Renaissance Fair? What I'm looking forward to the most is being able to fix all the little problems we had in the past with, with for example, in entertainment. I might have booked an act that sent me uh, just an audio cassette and I didn't know what they looked like or how long their set would be or if they were really funny or not. We're auditioning every act. Um, we're making every act um, have day-long responsibilities at the festival. It'll be run like a corporate theme park. So again, um, getting back to the concerns of the audience, they're going to get a lot better product for their money. This is a big challenge for me, but I always do a better job when I'm challenged to, to prove something that I've never done before. And I and my small circle of uh, people who work with me, we've produced big musicals, we've done big outdoor multi-band concerts, we've done obviously renaissance festivals. This is simply the next step up, which um, it's a challenge, but we're going to meet the challenge and present something that uh, the people of Kansas City will want to drive to, the people from Minnesota will want to drive to in the same manner that people from Des Moines have been driving to those festivals because ours will be just as good, if not a little bit more unique. All right. Now, anyone can talk big, but it takes a lot of work behind the scenes to turn ideas, concepts, and sketches into reality. One of the key pieces to this project will be the professional design services of an Iowan architect. He's been meeting the merchants to help design their custom shops, and it was fun to get his take on such a unique project. Uh, my name is Denny Sharp, and I'm with FEH Associates Architects, and I'm doing the design work for all of the villages, entries, and castles that will be part of the festival park. Okay, how long have you been involved with architecture? Well, over 30 years. Okay, all right, have you ever designed anything along the lines of, the, like, a theme park enterprise like this? No, I've never really done anything like this, and I find it very exciting. It's very interesting to do such a wide variety of building styles. So um, far, what are you seeing as the most interesting thing you've been asked to uh, design so far? Well, the, the entry feature is very interesting uh, to create a real statement for the entrance to the park, but the most interesting is the castle. Okay, tell us a little bit about the castle plans. Well, the, the castle is at a building that... Uh, has already been constructed on the site, and it's a pretty utilitarian-type building. And what we need to do is enhance the exterior of the building to give it the character of a castle, and that's a real challenge. What's it, what's it going to look like? Are we talking about, you know, plywood with painted bricks, or what are you guys actually building out here? Well, we're looking at a lot of different materials, and there's a lot of different uh, man-made things now that are very inexpensive that give us some pretty authentic looks. So we're looking at a variety of things. Okay, now, you've looked at architecture, I assume, at other types of Renaissance events. Yes, we've toured several, and I've got volumes of pictures from other festivals that we're drawing kind of the best ideas from. Okay, so anything, uh, anything new and cutting edge you think you're going to be doing here that you just haven't seen elsewhere? What we're doing maybe that's different is designing and building a whole village all at once. 
I think most of the festivals have evolved over time. Okay. And so far, what, is a, what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge in, in pulling this off? Well, from my perspective as an architect, the biggest challenge is going to be getting all of the approvals through the city of Des Moines building department. Now, is there, going to be, is there something different about designing a festival booth as opposed to working on a house or a shop or something? Yeah, it's quite a bit different because most of the buildings we do are actually occupied year-round and fall into the general life safety codes where this is a festival park. The structures are more temporary in nature and the events are intermittent, not constant. So the building officials look at it entirely differently. And just as a point of reference, could you describe some of the types of things you've helped design and build outside of this project? Well, I've done lots of library projects all over Iowa and South Dakota and Nebraska. I've done lots of schools, K-12, through college and university work, and lots of city buildings. So this should be real easy then. Yeah, it should be. All right, thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks. So there you have it, a business owner with a plan, a creative director with a dream, and an architect to make sure they can actually build the things they think they want and think they can afford. It's going to be interesting to watch this project as it's completed in the next couple of months leading up to opening. Now, there's already a couple of things done on the site. The roadways have already been laid and covered in gravel, so instead of just mud and, and dirt and straw or wood chips, there's actually a gravel path. Water and electricity has been brought out for where the shops that are going to need them will sit. And the main storage workshop building, which will be themed as a large castle, is already in place. It's going to contain some storage facilities, showers, flushing toilets, dishwashing center, and things like that. There's even a rumor that there might be wireless internet on the site, so it's looking pretty good. There's also another building, which will be the banquet hall at the end of Main Street that's there right now. So um, they start constructing merchant shops after the snow melts. If you want to learn more, visit www.dmrenfair.com, and that's fair with an E at the end. They are currently auditioning to hire street and stage performers, but there's only about eight more merchant slots available for opening year. So go check out the website, look at some of the pictures, and be sure to contact them if you have any particular questions. Are you wanting to hear some of the best Renaissance Festival music found anywhere on the Internet? Then quit listening to this podcast and subscribe to the Renaissance Festival podcast over at renaissancefestivalmusic.com. In fact, you should click stop right now and go over there and start downloading immediately. It's just a click away. Well, wait a second. Just what do you think you're doing? You said I could do a promo for my podcast here. Yeah, yeah, but, but they have to stay and finish listening to my podcast first, and then they can go hear yours. Well, mine was here first. Well, uh, mine has interviews. I have those two. Eventually. All right, fine. Be that way. All right, everyone. If you want to hear great Renaissance Festival music, then you have to go subscribe to the Renaissance Festival podcast. And if you want to keep track of Midwest Renaissance Festival news and information, you just need another crappy podcast. Hey, now. Hey, you're the one that named it that. Oh, oh yeah, right. RenaissanceFestivalMusic.com or AnotherCrappyPodcast.com. Subscribe to both. They're small. That's right, no real podcast can actually be a real podcast until it starts playing promos for other people's podcasts. So if you haven't done it already, be sure to check out Mark Gunn's Renaissance Festival podcast at renaissancefestivalmusic.com. It's a weekly show that plays a lot of music from acts that are currently appearing at festivals across America. And if you like Celtic music, he also has a Celtic music podcast that's worth checking out. They come out all the time. They're completely free and worth every penny. And you don't have to listen to someone like me talking for half an hour on each show.
Now, as far as my own podcast, future episodes will finally contain the interviews I conducted at the Kansas City Renaissance Festival and some other things that I've got lined up. It's just a matter of finding time to do it. So if you know of any other Renaissance-related podcast, let me know about them. Just drop by anothercrappypodcast.com and send me an email. I know there's a loot cast out there, but it's a little too much on the actual history side, and I kind of like my Renaissance Festivals to be more Hollywood than history. Well, regardless, I did want to take a moment to sincerely thank all of my listeners out there. It's really fun watching those numbers grow every time I actually get around to posting a new episode. And once again, I'd like to ask everyone to take a few moments to visit anothercrappypodcast.com, click on that world map link, and then put in your name, a shout-out, Attach a picture if you want, and your zip code so we can all see where it is that you listen to this. It's uh, mostly for ego, but it is kind of neat to go, wow, I got somebody in California listening to me? Hmm. And on that note, I think that'll do it for me this time, so be sure to visit atthefair.com, that's fair with an E at the end, where you can browse over 25,000 digital pictures I've taken at Renaissance festivals around the Midwest, including many I mentioned in this show. And if you want to drop me a note, visit anothercrappypodcast.com and send me some feedback. This has been the Rincast, show number five, Iowa Gets a Permanent Festival. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the fair. Another Crappy Podcast production. The music used at the beginning and the ending of this podcast is Packington's Pound by the Orcs and Trolls. To learn more about this and other equally exciting... Podcasts, be sure to visit www.anothercrappypodcast.com. If you'd like some print to go with this audio, be sure to check out The Regional Renaissance Reporter, a quarterly publication dealing with all things Renaissance Festival related, now in its sixth issue featuring a glossy color cover. Ooh! You can learn more at www.renreporter.com. A one-year subscription is just eight bucks, so subscribe for two years. Don't be cheap. All the cool people are doing it. If there was anything else we had to mention or plug, we'd be plugging and mentioning it right now. If you have something we should mention or plug, be sure to contact us, because we have space to fill. Thirty minutes coming up now.